Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 4 tonight. And uh, some of that when it comes to, to uh, uh, doing things intentionally, this message tonight kind of ties into that. And I'm going to preaching on learning to be content, but I'm kind of preaching on being discontent. <laughs> And so in doing that, because it's, it's easy for us at times to become content, but sometimes content with the wrong things. And uh, so we want to move in the right direction in that area. Father, we thank you tonight for your love and for your grace. I thank you so much, Father, for your presence in this place this evening. Thank you, Father, for all that you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, at this season, we remember that you chose to come and to give your life. You chose to become as us to take on the form of humanity that you might come take our sin bear it in your life to the cross that we might be set free we thank you for the amazing gift of life that you've given to us now father tonight we ask that by your holy spirit you would open the eyes of our understanding our hearts to receive and our ears to hear in jesus name and somebody said amen, amen. So, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul writes this. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Or to be at peace, to be at rest. Not to be frustrated by whatever my circumstances are. And when I truly... Uh, uh, last week, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I preached on Sunday morning about the difference between knowing God and learning God. I think part of it is we become great students of God. We learn a lot about God, but really coming to where we know God, ha have a knowing on the inside. And I, and I talked about when Adam was in the garden, where did he go to learn anything? There was no school. Adam didn't get trained in anything. He didn't go to, to a university to learn how to name the animals. He didn't go to... to uh, 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 college to get a degree in how to be a farmer and God, God just set him in the garden and said tend and keep it. Well, how does he know how to do that? Because God, there, there's a knowing creating God's image. There's a knowing and a knowledge that we receive from God. So learning how to walk on an inward knowing with God versus just getting a, a lot of knowledge in our head. And sometimes that's what frustrates our faith. We get all this knowledge in our head about God. And then we're trying to get it out of our head and, and into an actual practice in our life. When we're supposed to be living out of what we know about God. Are you with me? And, and it's good to study. I study. I read. I have a large library. I love reading. I love studying. I love learning. But somewhere it, ha it, has, to, it has to translate. It has to go from knowing in my, uh, learning in my mind to knowing in my spirit. What, what, what I learn in my mind has to become a knowing in my spirit because we live out of our spirit. We produce faith out of our spirit. Faith is spiritual. It's not soulish. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Faith is not soulish, it is spiritual. And so we live by faith, we walk by faith, not by sight. But if we just stay in our mind, we stay in that natural realm, and we never really break over into the spirit. Look at the cover of your outline. Learning to be content with what I have of what the world has to offer my life, and discontent with what I think I have of God in my life is my goal. In other words, I'm completely happy with where I am. It doesn't mean that I don't like making improvements. It doesn't mean that I don't like uh, uh, 
uh, keeping things upgraded and keeping things functional and keeping things better. We had an old Christmas tree. This is a new tree this year. We got 10 years out of the last one. Yeah, the other one was dead. So we, we don't mind making improvements and upgrade. How I many know what I'm saying? There's a difference, but, but I don't need that to be fulfilled. Are you listening to me? So whether it's something in, in a decoration or it's a necessity in your life or something else that we have, just as an illustration, so you and I in our lives, there has to be a place where we're content with what the world brings into our life. Because natural things, or I guess the better way to say it, learning that what Paul's saying, nothing that I add to my life from outside of me makes my life any richer. Nothing outside added to my life makes my life any fuller than the life that I have inside in Christ. So learning to live from the inside out is where contentment lies. When I see my life full in Christ, Paul, that's why I said whatever state I'm in, I'm content. Because my life is based on, I know the life, I know the life that I have inside of me. I, I know who God is. And I know that His life dwells on the inside of me. So everything around me is temporal, is subject to change. And so whether it's good, whether it's up or bad, it's not affecting my life. Are you with me? And so there's something about that at getting to do that. So getting that place of not just uh, to be discontent with what I think I have of God, because we have God in His fullness, but having a knowledge of all that I have of God and then walking in that, as we're going to see here in a few moments. See, I believe this is the only way to live a life that will have an Im impact for God in my generation. The, I, I, I don't even know how to always convey this or to communicate this. I got saved at 25. I was a construction worker. I had no formal education. I, di I didn't go to, to college or anything. I just got saved and said, God, I want to serve you with my life. I'm just going to serve you. And so if God can do, has done anything, Thing through my life, if my life has produced what we call ministry or that, or any kind of a harvest, then that's only an example that there is a harvest connected to your life as well. There's increase that God wants to bring to His kingdom out of your life. My heart as a pastor is to get each one of you to live for the increase of God's kingdom that is inside of your life. You have amazing potential to bring increase to the kingdom of God in your life. If you knew me when I got saved, you wouldn't go, oh, there's a future pastor. You would not have said that. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you, you would not have seen that in me. That, that, that God would be, or anything. But at the same time, God had purpose on the inside of me. And when it says that we're to live and serve God with purpose, that means to discover. When the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, he says, I, I want to find out why Christ has laid hold of my life. Why, why has God laid hold of me? Think about that. Out of all of humanity, we're trying to witness to people, trying to get people to come to Christ. But you've accepted the Lord, so God has grabbed a hold of your life. And there's a reason he's laid a hold of your life. Paul said, I want to find out why. And that's kind of where I live. I just want to live and say, God, what do you want to do through my life? That always trips me out. That God, God, the creator, go outside tonight. It's a clear night. That's why it's so cold outside. But go outside and look up. Look at the universe. Look at the expanse of the heaven. And think that the God that created all of that desires to flow through your life. 
I go, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? The God of creation has chosen to make himself known in the earth by flowing through our lives. That is amazing to me. Just think about that just for a moment. The God of creation. Say, this is how I make myself known. I just get men and women to agree that with me that I will work through them in the earth. That I will manifest myself, make myself known, express myself in the earth through their lives. Are you kidding me? I'm like, sign me up. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Sign, just yes, God. And when you say yes to God, that's all you're saying. But it, and he does, he's not asking you to try to figure out what he wants to do, what we try to do automatically. Oh, I really have this in my heart. I believe this is God's will for my life. Just say, God, do whatever you want to do through my life. Don't shrink God down to what you think his will is for your life. Amen? Don't, don't, don't limit God. Take the limits off of God. Say, God, do anything. I, I'm just open. I believe you could do anything. Amen? So think about this. In the days of the book of Acts, those men and women who turned the world upside down had no colossal intellectual capacity, no great financial backers, no real social standing or influence. Everything we think we need today to make an impact for the kingdom of God, they had none of it. But yet they turned the world upside down. Think about it. They were the most despised men in and around Jerusalem. Yet somehow they broke out and impacted the world for Christ and established his church. The question is, what has happened to the church in our day? The impact that we should be having. Think about it. Could God raise up men and women like that again? I believe the answer is a resounding yes. Think about this. I love this. Dr. J.B. Phillip, a great scholar and Bible translator, this is a comment that he made about the book of Acts. It's there in your notes. This is the church of Jesus Christ, speaking of the book of Acts, before it became fat and out of breath by prosperity. This is the church of Jesus Christ before it became muscle-bound by over-organization. This is the church of Jesus Christ where they didn't gather a group of intellectuals to study psychosomatic medicine. They just healed the sick. I love that. He says, this is the church of Jesus Christ where they did not say prayers, but they prayed in the Holy Ghost. And there is a vast difference. Amen? Come on, just saying prayer versus praying in the Holy Ghost. It is so amazing. Look at what the Bible says. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, when you pray in the Spirit, you build up your most holy faith. It says, Jude says, you build up your most holy faith. Faith gets strengthened. It says you edify yourself, you strengthen yourself. Something begins to happen when you're praying in the Spirit. All of a sudden, something begins to percolate down on the inside of you. And the more you pray in the Spirit, you begin to believe, I, I could do something great for God. God, you could use me. God, you put gifts and abilities on the inside of me and you just begin praying in tongues and praying the Holy Ghost and something begins to stir up on the inside and go, wait a minute, something's about to happen. Amen? And God's going to do something through my life. Think about it. They were men and women who did not just study and know the Word of God. They actually knew the God of the Word. What happened? See, I've met over the years of pastoring, I get people who want to debate the Bible all the time. So what they want to do, they want to prove they're smarter than you. That they have more head knowledge about God. 
Are you with me? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad. You are very smart. I'm impressed. You are so smart. I'm impressed. In fact, I see gray matter oozing out of your ears. It's amazing you have so many brains. Amen. That's awesome. But then do something. Do something with what you know. Produce something. Change a lot. Has God, with all that you know, has God been able to reach one life through your life? With everything you know, has God been able to touch somebody? Amen? Think about it. So watch this. They spent time with him and allowed him to have his rightful place in their life. Acts 4.13 says they looked at the disciples and they took note of them that they were ignorant and unlearned in being, but they had been with Jesus. Come on, when we spend time with Jesus and we're just getting to know him, come on, study, read, get knowledge, but, but get it to come to, 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 to migrate from your head down into your spirit because if it stays up in your head, it stays in the realm of reasoning and you can be talked out of faith. But when it gets from your head down into your spirit, it ignites your faith and you believe God. I believe I can lay my hands on the sick and they will recover. And you just kind of walk around like this looking for a sick person. Amen. Because you believe God will do something great through your life. Think about it. We must once again become the people who believe that God's word is not obsolete but absolute. The word of God is not obsolete. It is absolute. It is the absolute truth for our culture and our world today. The people you and I come in contact. In fact, I was blessed today. I saw my little friend Manny up here that works in the buildings up there. He's sitting at the parking lot waiting for his girlfriend to pick him up. And I said, hey, Manny, how you doing? He looks at me and goes, I don't recognize you. I have my sunglasses on. Oh, yeah, pastor. I said, son, I'm praying for you. I said, I'm focused on you. I'm not giving up on you. I'm coming after you. Okay, I know it. I know. But you just have to keep reaching out to people. Amen? Keep reaching out to people and believing God. Because he, what he needs is the absolute truth of God's word. That living by the word and standing on the word, proclaiming the word, and loving the word of God is not a profession but a passion. Well, the pastor's supposed to live by the word. The pastor's supposed to preach the word. The pastor's supposed to be excited about the word. No, it's supposed to be the passion of every one of our hearts. Amen? And then that living a life filled with passion for Christ is not just for the preacher, but it is to be the description of every believer. Matt did a great job preaching last week on evangelism. And, and when he talked about Spurgeon, I believe it was, who said, you know what? If people are going to go to hell, and, and I'm trying to remember who he's actually quoting, but if people are going to go to hell, let, let them have to go through us pleading for their souls. Amen? If people are choosing to go, let, let them have to fight their way through us, interceding and pleading for their eternal souls and destiny. Believe God will use you to touch somebody. Hear me this evening. I want you to understand that there is a cycle to the behavior of man or humanity. Very seldom does man come up with anything new. How many of you ever heard the term history repeats itself? And if, you don't, if we don't study history, we are doomed to repeat it and end up with the same feeling. Isn't it amazing that most nations, that the life cycle of a nation is somewhere around 200 years? Just read history. You find out that there is a cycle to humanity. 
What happens is he usually only repeats the failures of the path by dressing it up in the fashion of his day. You know, all the stuff we're doing today, we've done all along. We've just dressed it up in a different fashion, the fashion or the culture of our day. See, prior to World War I, there was a group in England called the Fabian Socialists. Men like George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells was kind of the, he was kind of the self-appointed prophet of a new order, new world order. He never talked about redemption or sin. He was a rationalist and a humanist. How many know our society is faced with that right now? Our government is filled with that right now. Rational humanism. Now, look at the back of your outline. And I put a little definition back there so you would see it. Put three little definitions in, in dealing with this. Socialism is this. Social, it's a social and economic doctrine that calls for public rather than private ownership or control of property and natural resources. That's why we are taxed through the eyeballs. Amen. Because you work for the betterment of everybody else, not yourself. According to the socialist view, individuals do not live or work in isolation, but live in cooperation with one another. Furthermore, everything that people produce in some sense is in some sense a social product, and everyone who contributes to the production of a good is entitled to share in it. Society as a whole, therefore, should own or at least control property for the benefit of all its men. Uh, members. This conviction puts socialism in opposition to capitalism. Or in other words, that you don't have a right to own anything. Whatever you make is e should be equally enjoyed by all. Everybody should be on an equal level. Let me just put you like this. And if you took all the money in the world and divided it up equally amongst every person on the face of the earth, in five years you would still have the social class separation that you have today. Because some people are just always stupid. Some people will always be poor. Some people will always be white. Different people, different things, different choices. You, you can't, there's no way to legislate equality. But there is a way. That's why the Bible says that we care and we show love towards one another. But you can't have a, a, a governing class like this. Fabian Society was a socialist society founded in 1884 in London, having as its goal the establishment of a democratic socialist state in Great Britain. I mean, remember the last presidential election we had? We had a candidate running. Bernie Sanders is a declared democratic socialist. He's running as a democratic socialist. This mindset is what he thinks is right for America. It's failed everywhere it's ever been applied, but he thinks it is right. And so the Fabian put their faith in evolutionary socialism rather than in revolution. Here's what happened with H.G. Wells. His influence was enormous, both in his own generation and on that which immediately followed. None of his contemporaries did more to encourage revolt against Christian tenets and accepted codes of behavior, especially as regard to sex, in which both in his books and his personal life, he was a persistent advocate of an almost complete freedom of sexuality. Though in many ways was hasty, ill-tempered, and contradictory, Wells was an undeviating and was undeviating and fearless in his efforts for social equality, world peace, and what he considered to be the future good of humanity. 
say, Pastor, why are you interjecting all that? Because we are living in a society today, you and I are in a society today, where this propaganda has been promoted and promoted and promoted in our culture, and we need the truth of God's Word, the absolute truth of God's Word, and a boldness and a courage in God's people to be the witnesses that God needs us to be to proclaim His Word unashamedly. Can you say amen? It's so important. You see, in 1912, two years before the war of... Uh, uh, before the war of 1914, World War I, <coughs> Wells wrote this. Look at this. It is possible for us to have a new race of people by intellectual and biological process. We don't need the Bible. We don't need the church. We can pull down the hills of wealth, and we can fill up the valleys of poverty. That's the same stuff we're hearing on the political platforms of our day today. And it hasn't, didn't work then, it won't work today. Are you listening to me? But watch what happened. He didn't talk about sin and redemption and wickedness. He talked about the adequacy of materialism. He talked about the inev- inevitability of progress. He talked about the sufficiency of man. And they were going to usher in a new millennium by their own genius. Does any of this sound familiar? Think about it. We can fix it all without God. Man is good, he just needs a little guidance, and we can give it to him. You know who says that? The elite ruling class. Because in socialism, or in that day, somebody has to be the distributor. Somebody has to be the collector, somebody has to be the distributor. Are you listening to me? Say, Pastor, where are you going with this? You'll find out in the end. And so when, you, when we do that and we look at that, man is doing that. But who is the one that's going to give us all the good idea? There's the elitist. There's the intellectual. They're the people who are giving us the direction that we need. They're taking the seat of God and ruling over the people. Think about it. Something, though, happened to Wells, though, in his last book, Mind at the End of Its Tether. What happened was, is that he wrote that book just as World War II was beginning to break out. And he got so discouraged with humanity, he finally came to himself, and he actually gave a glimpse, and he, and he wrote this, he wrote these two comments in that book. Think about what he said before, and then he wrote this. He wrote, there is no hope for humanity. And there is a little cavity somewhere in the human breast which can be filled by God and only by God alone. So the man who said we don't need God, we don't need anything else, after he watches man, they go through World War I, he thinks they're going to learn, and now we're ended up on, on, on the threshold of World War II, and he goes, man is hopeless. We're not going to fix this thing intellectually. The problem with man is man has a hole in his heart. And that's why I'm preaching to you tonight, God. We live in a world, and there are people all around it, and they have a hole in their heart. We have the answer, and we need to get that truth to them. And even though he acknowledged this truth, how many know there's a difference between acknowledgement and acceptance? Acknowledging the truth and accepting the truth is different. Look at your next page. Isn't it amazing how perspective can change? How we can go from knowing it all to knowing nothing at all. Only desiring to know the one who is all in all. I'll never forget it. I mean, when I was just a young pastor, we were in, Pastor Sue and I were in Bieber, and, and my great uncle, 
who uh, he graduated from Bible school in 1924. He pastored in Tehama, California. His last pastor was in Tehama, California. He's a pa- pastor for over 60 years, minister for over 60 years. And so we're pastoring, and I had him come up and preach for me. He was retired then, but he came up to preach for me. And so after preaching that Sunday, we're sitting in the living room, and I am trying to impress him with everything I know about God. And he's just sitting there, just kind of rocking. He goes, yes, Don. He says, when I was your age, I knew it all too. <laughs> he says, now I know this. He says, God's big and I'm not. He says, that's what I know. God's big and I'm not. And what's amazing is the more we try to seek God, and that's what's so wonderful. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that the more you start diving into God, the great God just continues to get bigger. The more you try to discover Him, He just gets bigger. If you don't try to confine Him, if you don't try to define God, He will get bigger and bigger in your life. And you just end up going, God, I don't know nothing at all, but show me some more. Amen? Show me some more. Praise the Lord. See, hear me. See, we miss the mark by telling people who are many of them morally good and very excellent that Jesus came into the world to make bad men good. He did not. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. That isn't why he came. That is a fringe benefit. God's first argument with man is not that he is bad, but that he is dead in trespasses and sin. Man is not bad, he is dead. Are you with me? That's why Jesus came and he said, If you knew the gift of God, you would ask and you would, God would give you, you would receive living Water, the water of life. You would receive life. Salvation is called eternal life. Called being born again. Resurrection. Are you with me? Christianity, think about this. Christianity is the only gospel in the world. The only message in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. The only gospel. God. That's why I said it to be. Think about that. When we just wrap, I don't even have to figure out enough. But God has chosen to live inside of you and me. When you say, Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus said, the Father and I will come and we will make our habitation, our dwelling place inside of you. God Almighty lives in you. Glory to God. And that God who lives in you wants to make his life known through you in the earth. But we go, wait a minute. I don't know how I can do that. He says, I didn't ask you to do it. I asked you to let my life in you flow out of you. Amen. I'll do it. Just agree. I want to do great things through you. Can you say amen? So watch it. So think about it. There's a battle of two nature. So he comes inside of us, and what does he do? He renews, he rebuilds, and he restores. Go with me to Jeremiah 17. Are you doing all right? Jeremiah chapter 17. Watch this. And begin in verse 9. Verse 9, the heart, 
your heart, my heart, every heart, is deceitfully wicked above all things. Is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. My margin says incurably sick. <laughs> That's why God gives us a new heart. We get a new heart, amen? Because our old heart, and we live by that old heart, it's deceitfully wicked. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. As a partridge that broods but does not hat, so is he who gets riches but not by right. I will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the foundation of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved. For you are my praise. I indeed they, indeed they say to me, where is the word of the Lord? Let it come now. Amen. How many know our nation needs the word of the Lord? Amen. Do you know what happened? I thought it was interesting. I saw a post because they're saying, I think it's in Alabama. They, they have a, the legislature is allowing the Bible to be taught again in our school. And people are going, oh, do, do, do you think it's a good idea to teach the Bible back in our school? Looking at what's happened to our nation since we took it out. In 1964, think about it. Now watch this. You believe your life is no, not significant. There was one crazy, psyched out woman who rose up and got mad. Atheist, God-hating woman who worked and legislated and lobbied and took God out of our schools. And look at what she did to our nation. Just one, just one woman. See, there's people on the other side that are passionate. If something ever happens where we get passionate about the truth, what kind of effect can we have with the truth? Amen? And standing for it. Yeah, but if I stand, people might get upset with me. Good. Glory to God. It puts you in good company with Jesus. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus literally said, do you think I came to bring peace? She said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword and division. But we're so afraid of making anybody upset. Jesus came to make people choose. Make people choose. That's why he just came and said things like that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't like that, tough. Nobody comes unto the Father except by me. Well, that's kind of absolute. That's right. The Bible is not obsolete. It is absolute. God speaks in absolute, unnegotiable truth. And that's what we live by. Are you with me? That's what we live by. Absolute, unnegotiable truth. Now, what happened? See, there's a battle of two natures raging in us all. Go with me to Genesis chapter 4. Are you still with me? I remember what happened in the garden. 
Adam and Eve are there. Life is good. They're going around. They're in this amazing relationship with God. The God, God is coming down walking with them. They're fellowship with God in the garden. They're in a place of innocence. They're in relationship with God. They're in heaven on earth. Are you with me? Perfect relationship with God. And then a voice comes into the garden, the voice of his earth. And listen to what he said. He entices them with the same deception that got him kicked out of heaven. He says, eat of this tree, because in the day you eat of it, you will be like with God. You will be equal with God. You'll be knowing, do all that. And God is trying to keep you from being equal with him. And so they ate of that. And then what, what happened is, is that man at that moment, the battle that every one of us wrestle with is now giving up our self-sovereignty and surrendering ourselves back under the sovereignty of God. And man came into that place. Here, The devil's victory was this. Eat the fruit, be like God in your mind, and place your throne above his. That's what man, that's what the devil did. I will ascend my throne above the most high. I'm going to be my own God. I'm not going to be under God. I'm not content to be an archangel. I'm not to be the anointed cherub that covers. I'm going to take God's place. I'm going to be God. And that's what man chooses. And at that moment, man took the knowledge of good and evil. And man is now the sovereign over his own life, choosing what is good and what is right for his own life. So we get to Genesis chapter 4 and, and Cain and Abel. It's time to present the sacrifice. They've been instructed. Been, they, they've been educated on the right way to do it in that. But Cain, out of the knowledge, out of the seed that was sown of the knowledge of good and evil, he chooses, I'm going to give God what I think think is right I'm going to give God my good enough God doesn't ask for our good enough your good enough will never be right with God what you consider good and we all wrestle with that well I read the Bible but but I know it says that but but I think this would be good enough but look what the Lord says too in Genesis chapter 4 because we know that they both get it God accepts Abel's sacrifice he doesn't accept Cain verse 7 it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. Let me give it to you out of another translation here. The New Living Translation says it like this. Hurry up and open up. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? In the beginning, you and I ended up in a conflict. And so we're talking about learning to be content. I have to find myself where I'm able to be content hearing the Word of God, believing the Word of God, and doing the Word of God, not judging the Word of God by whether I think it is good or right for my life. Living by the Word. Doing what is right. Abel just did what was right, was accepted by God. He, he knew it. And, and, but see, all that, when we get in there and we live in reasoning and we get in that place, where we all live in that war. That's why I say there's a battle of two natures raging within us all. The byproduct of man eating that tree, the seed of the knowledge of good and evil, began prov 
producing a harvest of man's own destruction. And pastor, how does that apply to us? What does it say in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You and I make choices. Every day we make choices based upon what we think is good or what is evil. What is right or what is wrong. But we're not supposed to live by the knowledge of good and evil. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit of God. We were never meant to live at the low level of the knowledge of good and evil. We could go around this room and talk about different things. We could look at one subject or a topic, and everybody would have a different view of what level of good or evil it was. All right, it's awful quiet in here tonight. So think about it. This is the original war of the world. And I wish I had more time to just really dive into this and give it to you. But this really the place where we live. There's a battle between the two worlds. There are two gods in this world, and we're living in the battle. There's the God of heaven and the God of glory, and there's the fallen God of this world, Satan the devil, and those battle against it. But Satan won his victory by getting man to eat that. So man now lives out of that knowledge. But now when I get born again, we're allowed to eat of the tree of life. Are you with me? We partake of the tree of life. There's a higher way to live than living by what is good and evil. I hear people say it all the time. Oh, it's not that bad. I always illustrate it like this. Well, my life isn't that bad. Surely God won't judge me. Yeah, that's true. Anybody want a drink of water? I'm only going to spit in it a little bit. I mean, it's not much, just a little spit. And I, I brushed my teeth this morning. My mouth is clean. Surely you wouldn't mind just taking a little bit of my spit into your body. I mean, just a drop. Not a lot, just one drop of spit. I'm sure, look at all this water. One drop of spit and all this water isn't going to affect this water. Anybody want a drink? How come you don't want a drink of spit? Just one drop of spit. But yet, you wouldn't take one drop of spit into your body of another person's spit or their saliva. But we want God to take our sin into His holiness. When we live by good and evil, we live by what we think is good enough for God to receive into Himself. Yet, you have a higher standard for your purity. Amen? You and I have a higher standard for our purity than we expect of God. All right, don't shout me down when I'm preaching real good. Okay. But look at look what does God do? God so loved the world what? That he gave his only begotten son. Romans 12:2, don't be conformed to this world. John 1 John 2, love not the world. See, your greatest promise from God will be your greatest opposition from the enemy of your soul, your adversary, the devil. The promise is your promotion to the battle. Amen. You know, I've watched this year. This could be an exodus year. God's going to do it. We're excited going through it. And we've had all kinds of stuff kind of blowing up around. It's like walking through a minefield this year. 
going, Lord, what's going on? That's because God's promise and his promotion always brings you into the battle. The devil says, man, I, I need to try to discourage them from moving forward. Because if, if, if I can't discourage them, they're going to move forward. If they keep moving forward, they're going to do greater destruction to my kingdom. So every time I see the minefield start blowing up, I'm going, glory to God. We're about ready to have a breakthrough. Amen? Good things are going to happen. Praise the Lord. See, your first line of defense is to guard your heart and your mind. Go back to Philippians chapter 4. Watch this. You stay with me a couple more minutes. Philippians chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7. Verse 6 says, Be anxious, fretful, don't worry for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. So when I start getting worried about something, start stressing over something, that's the time to just get in and say, Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I just bring this before you. Father, you said I could roll away the care over this. On, on this. If I need anything, I can ask you. Father, I'm doing your work. I'm building your kingdom. I thank you, Father. You have your hand upon this. I trust you in this. I just want to give you praise. I want to give you glory for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord. You cause all things to work together for good. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Move on. Amen. Yeah, that's what Paul said. Why? Because in the peace of God, which passes all what? Understanding. So my mind gets in there. Anxiety comes out of your mind. When you start considering everything, rolling everything around your mind, how's this going to happen? How's that going to work? I don't know how that's going to work. Your brain's... And we see steam start coming out of your ears. You look like Yellowstone. And old faithful is about to explode. Amen. The peace of God that is greater than your understanding, watch this, will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Your heart is your emotion. Are you with me? And your mind is your reasoning. Your first line of defense is keep your heart and your emotions under control. The enemy always attacks here first. People fail here the most. These are the two key areas, redeemed and redeemed, renewed through salvation. God gives us a new heart and a renewed mind. How many can say amen? I'm glad that I have a new heart and a renewed mind. I don't have to think about everything the way the world thinks about that. I'm doing the will of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Don't take any thought for where you're going to live, what you're going to wear. Just keep doing right. Keep seeking God. God, I know you want to work through my life, flow through my life. God, in I'm agreement with you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to honor you. I'm content. I'm not frustrated. I don't have anxiety about anything. The world's all going crazy. There's all these goofy theologies and philosophies philosophies out there people by the multitudes are running after it think that this is it but it never works it never has worked so i'm just going to stay focused on the word of god amen think about it the unfortunate truth is that too many spend their lives trying to fill with the world what can only be filled by god all of our heartache and pain in life comes from our efforts to do what only god can do to make ourselves complete happy and whole. Unfortunately, H.G. Wells found out at the end what he could have known at the beginning. That the whole in his heart, in his life, and in humanity can only be filled by God. Hear me, we don't need the restoration of social programs and reforms. We need prophets. 
That's what we need today. You need to walk in the anointing of the prophetic. Amen. We need prophets. What are prophets? They are those who by nature of their calling are tragic figures. They have a fierce loyalty towards God and a broken heart over a lost nation and humanity. Isn't it amazing? If you read Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Why? Because he wept for his nation, but at the same time he spoke with the fierceness of truth. Isaiah, a heaviness for a nation, but a prophet of fierceness and truth. Amen. Think about it. Elijah and Elisha. Nobody liked, none of the kings liked any of them. Amen. Because they come, they had great passion for their nation and for the people, but that they had a fierceness in declaring the word of the Lord. Think about it. We've been trying to marry Christianity to personalities, prosperity, and popularity, and it isn't working. I have to avoid the trap of becoming self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and self-righteous. I must realize that I need something that is outside of anything human at all. I need to seek the only one who is worth finding. I must learn to live in contentment in Christ. Could you say amen? I think about it today. Watch people. What a crazy world we live in. This time of the year cracks me up. People go out in mass mobs to buy junk. To get a good deal on junk. And they fight over stuff and dive over each other. They sleep outside of uh, of department stores and do all kinds. Our our society has all. Are you listening to me? And And we think, oh, if I just had that, I would be happy. And you get it home and it's broke. Do you know, in fact, it's funny, we have an old, I have my grandmother's ironing board up in my office. It weighs about 42 pounds. I don't know what my wife was ironing. She tried to iron something this afternoon. I, I keep it up there, and, and that's how I iron the iron, ironing board up there. She comes, she goes, man, these old ironing boards were heavy. I said, yeah, that's why it still works. Because we just replaced our other one at home that we had for a few years. It's made out of that white little flimsy legs. And you can pick it up with two fingers like this. A whole ironing board like this. And the legs split off and do all that stuff. And some of you might still have your grandmother's toaster. Or something else. Appliances. A waffle iron. Something else. So there's all this stuff that used to be made to last. But everything in the world today, nothing is made to last. Every new appliance you buy has a five-year life cycle to it. Everything's made to last about five years. And we're supposed to be a green nation. We're just creating junk. If we want to go green, make stuff that lasts. The reason we'll we'll use that, anyway. (laughs) We're so smart, we're stupid. Amen. So look at the last page of your outline, if you would. One statement on the back. What do we need? I need the God who came to man in flesh... That he might take upon himself our sin and impute unto us his righteousness. That we might live in the righteousness of God through Christ in faith. This is man's only hope and God's only answer. Christmas, this season, what is it all about? Is that God came so man could be back at that place of contentment. Think about man in the garden. What concern did Adam have in the garden? What was his care? What was his concern? None. What was lacking? Nothing. Amen. 
When we step into life with Christ and we start living in this place of contentment that belongs to us and seeking to know God in all of His fullness inwardly, life just becomes so easy. Almost every mistake that people make is thinking that by adding something else to their life, even adding someone else to their life, people make relationship mistakes thinking that their life would be happy if they just had that person in their life. I always try to tell two people, two broke people can't make a whole person. It's supposed to be, the, the, the objective is, is that we allow God to heal our brokenness individually. That I am made whole and complete in Him. And then I invite Somebody into my wholeness, not into my brokenness. Only God can heal our brokenness. Amen? Only God. And so then I'm inviting somebody in to live in wholeness with me. People think, oh man, I'm broken, I'm broken. I watch people all the time, and they get together and they start sharing their story. Oh, you have the same brokenness that I have. I do this, I share that. And then they try to get together thinking that out of their true brokenness, they'll find some kind of hole. It doesn't work that way. You need to let God. God's the only one who can heal us and make us whole. Amen? And then I get in there now. I invite somebody into my hole because I know that I'm content knowing that I'm complete. In him. And now out of my completeness, I can give myself to you. Because if I'm broken, I'm always needing you to make me whole. I'm always needing you to help fix me. And if you ever quit fixing my brokenness, then I get upset with you. I'm, I didn't mean to get into your marriage thing right there, but... <laughs> But, but, but we do that. People all the time try to do that. And then when somebody isn't making them feel better in their brokenness, then they look for somebody else. When the only one who can make us whole and content in our life and our walk is God. Amen? Father, I thank you this evening. Lord, I pray for each and every per person here tonight. Father, I pray that we would come to know you. And that, Father through that knowing would come an awareness that you have chosen. You are the only one who has promised to be our Savior and to come and live inside of us. Father, we have accepted your Son as our Savior and your life in us. Holy Spirit, you are the one who reveals Christ to us. It's my prayer that each and every one of us, Father, would come to know the living reality, as Paul said, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And in that inward knowing that you dwell in us, your peace that passes all understanding would settle down in our hearts and in our mind. And we would be content. And we would begin living out of that contentment. Out of that rest. Out of that peace. And be released to share your love. Your grace. Your compassion. Your mercy. With the world around us. That we would bring the answer that they're looking for. 
in so many places and not finding it. Father, I pray your anointing over your people. Father, flow through them in a mighty way through this season. Use them for your glory and for your praise. In Jesus' name. Somebody said? Amen. God bless you. Pray God's blessing over you this week. Have a blessed, blessed week. And uh, be a part of everything that's going on. Keep up on your bulletin. You can check the website. We're getting it all updated in that and all the information. And uh, we look forward. Invite somebody.